0: Luke 5, we're starting at verse 17, uh, and we will go from there. One of my favorite stories, actually, Uh, one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, just be aware, uh, historically speaking, the Pharisees were actually the good guys, The ones we hear from in Scripture are not. And so it has become a word to say somebody is pharisaical if they are legalistic, saved by works type thing. And language develops, and so that's what Pharisees mean. But if you do any historical work, you'll find that most of the Pharisees are actually dead serious about pleasing God. They wanted to find a way to please God. Uh, they, they went sideways, but there they are, there, the teachers of the law. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Okay, a um, couple of things. Roofs were removable because they were renewable. Uh, it's rather like the thatched homes you might see in English pictures. Uh, that has to be renewed. It's actually a brilliant roof, and it lasts for a long time, but it doesn't last forever. And it's made of thatch. Well, this seems to have been made with tiles, and the tiles were movable. But what I loved about it was my first thought when I was a boy reading this story, is that these people were taken apart a church. It's a home. I was a boy. And right in the middle of the church are lowering a guy right in front of Jesus. Now my father had a lifelong love of Appalachia. And so we would be in and out of there, I don't know how many times. And I'll never forget one. And again, I have no idea how old I was. I don't know why those type details never register with me. Uh, But I'm going to guess eight or so. And here we were in this this building. And some of this you're going to have a hard time buying because I would have if I hadn't been there. And they didn't have glass in the windows. They had boards, and they would stick them out. You know what I'm talking about? With another board and prop them open. And there'd be people there. And every so often there'd be, I don't know, a mule or a donkey, I didn't ask, sticking its head in, which made the day. I was just very happy. Nobody else would comment upon it when that made it even more cool. But the water, uh, they didn't have a fountain. They had a water bucket sitting on a table right in front of the pulpit with a ladle in it. And while Dad would be preaching... People would come up, sometimes holding a kid, and they're just two or three feet away from his face. And they're taking a drink and giving one to the kid and putting it back. I was thinking, this is the coolest church I've ever been to in my life. You can't do anything like that in our church. You get killed. It was it was brilliant. And the idea of here we are sitting regimented, and they weren't. They, that's not the way they did things. But in my head, and eh, 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 here comes a person interrupting. You know, I don't know what to uh, do. In, in my church, we would have been going, oh, I don't approve of this. And, and you know, clapping. I knew clapping would lead to this. The NIV, that's, I blame the NIV. That's, you start reading the NIV, the next thing you know, you're lowering people through the, however it worked. But that's not the point of the story. And I don't want us to get lost. I don't want the point of the story getting lost either, and it always does. It always does. When I ask people, what's the point of this story? They'll say, Jesus mercy and healing and power over illness. No, it's not the point of the story. Please remember this. I'm going to overstate this so that you can remember it. In any story involving a miracle, the miracle is not the important thing. Look elsewhere for this. comes down: Jesus saw their faith and said, "Friends, your sins are your friends, your sins are forgiven." That's what this is about. Jesus' first response, his knee-jerk reaction, is forgiveness. That is not the Jesus I grew up with. Uh, I grew up with a pretty mean Jesus. And then I read the scripture, and I'm going, wait a minute. That's, this isn't what I've been told. And I got angry and had to process all that. Um, Jesus is for, think of it, go through, and you find like the woman caught in adultery where he says, "You know, she, who condemns you? And she goes, no one. He goes, I don't either. Go and leave your life of sin. Get that in the right order. Jesus had already forgiven her and said, I don't have anything against you before he told her to change her life. We don't know if she did or not. What we do know is that Jesus, first thing he does is forgive. It's what he does. It's who he is. God approaches a universe which has gone sideways in a horrible way the Romans are awful the religions all divided and so what's his opening line? Peace on earth It's what God does. It's who he is blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God They look like this I talked to um, Cammy yesterday about one of our neighbors Uh, He, uh, uh, his wife is in a profession that I thought she, I don't want to do the backstory, but we're just saying, hey, I think you may want to connect with them. She goes, what do you know about them? And I I said a little bit that I know, and I said, and he's a believer. I think they're very strong believers. She goes, where do they go? I said, I have no idea. I'm just watching the way they treat each other and how their children behave. They're, they are, they're under God's law somehow. They understand this and the way they live their lives. They are believers, Jesus, uh, and by the way, one of the frustrations I have with that neighbor is actually that I have a rule to be the most polite person in any room, and they are trying to beat me. It's very frustrating. I had a neighbor in Colorado. Uh, he was the worst ever, I, no matter what I did. He had a, ch- he had a grandchild rush to hospital. I went over and sat on the steps with him, as the ambulance is going away, praying over him, and he's still trying to help me. And I'm going, uh, Niles, you've you, you got to stop this. I, I really want to win uh, if, if you let me do this. But that's not my first reaction. My first reaction is a very human one, but I don't want to blame God for making me human. Um, I, I, I can be very judgmental or dismissive, sarcastic, a little snarky. I know it's hard to believe, but... I don't know why we're laughing. I haven't told the joke yet. Uh, but it just, I look at this, and it amazes me. Because you've got to think how uncomfortable Jesus is. He's God. Now he's wrapped in a skin bag in a room full of stinky people, half of whom think they're smarter than him, and they've come to find the problem. And even then, his first response is forgiveness. Even though it, they might have interrupted his thought. Being God, he probably remembered. how to circle back to that thing. This is what you need to get from this story. The healing bet. I, I want you to be, I'm going to say this anyway. I just want you to please understand what I'm saying. The healing bet does not impress me. Because I know he heals. He made the universe for goodness sake. I sometimes wonder, why did he heal then and not then? And I still do, don't you? Yes. You know, why do some people come out to the hospital in a box and some come out to a healthy, good life? I cannot answer that question. Yes, sir. Why is this line in the power
1: of the Lord's presence of him to heal That seems redundant.
0: Well, yes. If he had
1: to have it that day, would have still forgiven his sins if he had gone home on his
0: back? Uh, wonderful questions. Um, Tim says, why is that phrase in there? The power of the Lord is on him so he could heal. This is early in Jesus's ministry. And one of the big questions that the Bible does not answer for us is what did Jesus know and when did he know it? But when Jesus does miracles, he always gives the credit to the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is not there saying, do it, he doesn't. And if God's not there giving him something to say, he won't say something. He is very much what I refer to as a man under orders. He is God, but uh, Philippians 2, he has not grasped that, but let loose of this and made himself of no reputation. And so he would, uh, in fact, whenever people said he's doing miracles by the power of uh, Beelzebub or by a demon, he, that, he said, is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, not him, because it's the Holy Spirit who does the power, who gave him the power to do this. And then... You're not, you're, the follow-up was, had, the, had he not had the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to heal on that day, would he have um, still forgiven the sins and sent him home on a mat? I think yes, because that seems to be what he does, is forgiving sins. Please.
1: On that matter, it's, uh, even at his baptism, uh, the Father descended and uh, the Holy Spirit on him. It's not until after the cross that the sanctification capability of the Holy Spirit came upon all saved people. Of course, Pentecost had already come and gone by that time. There's another thing interesting in this section to me. And when it talks about that he saw their faith, the breath illustrations you gave us this morning is what makes us different even than the angels. Mm -hmm. Because I'm confident that that equips a human being with the capacity for the Holy Spirit to reside in us, to come and live in us. And, uh, and of course, then that gives, that's the seed or the bed in which faith can come forth. That's right. And it depends then on what we do with that seed as to whether we stay in the logical realm of life or in the spiritual realm. And so when he saw their faith, faith is the greatest single thing about a human being, our ability to believe.
0: You're exactly right. And, in fact, faith impresses God. Yes. Because God, you saw in Ecclesiastes, the reading there, God put us in a hard place, uh, the teacher says. And the, and the teacher, Kohelet, never, never, um, and I'm, I'm not throwing out a weird word there. It is a word we translate teacher, Kohelet. Yes. And that was because of the curse
1: of Adam's sin. Yeah, we're, Turned we're, everything from what it was before, he, they sinned until and
0: afterward. He knows it's a hard place. And so faith impresses him. And his response, not only to faith, though, because how many did not even exhibit or at least say faith, and yet he healed them anyway. It is, or he forgave them anyway. Um, For example, on the cross. There wasn't a lot of faith among the people nailing them, but he said, forgive them. It's just who he is. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm... I don't want to be offensive here. If you hang around Muslims you will find most of them are dear and sweet and wonderful people. If you listen to terrorists, and I've listened to them online, um, I've, I've watched a few of their sermons, and I must always caution myself and others, I was listening to a translation so I'm going by what the translator said, okay? But constantly talking about Allah, they will talk about how merciful and wonderful and peaceful he is. He's going to strike down all these people. And I'm going, ah, I want to introduce you to another story. And, and the good news is that Muslims already highly esteem Jesus. He's mentioned many times in the Quran. Muhammad, I think, is only mentioned twice. Um, and so we just need to, to, to talk to them about the stories they don't know. But this story would be one to show them. It's amazing. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, by the way, kudos, because they could have started shouting, right? So give them this. They were controlled. Um, Who is this fellow who who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Is that legitimate? I would tell you yeah um if i was a jew in that time under the jewish law and somebody was walking around forgiving sins i would be questioning why because i want to be a good jew i want to be a good follower of jesus not jesus sorry that was off uh, good follower of the father in heaven uh, and jesus was being a good follower but we didn't understand it at the time and when i was growing up i was told you can't forgive anybody's sins but then i started reading the new testament and we're priests And we're told, if you forgive them, God forgives them. Be about your father's business.
1: To the apostles, he said, whose sins you retain shall be retained. Whose sins you shall forgive shall be forgiven. That's right. You know, there's something else just dawned on me, Brother Patrick. It could very well be that forgiveness does not reside, cannot be anywhere. There's not some level of faith. See, there's no forgiveness in the animal world, in the plant world. It's only, and, and obviously not with angels, but only with you and me. And so probably there's some dimension of the people on the day of Pentecost. They didn't know anything about Jesus Christ until they heard that sermon. But there was enough faith there for them to respond and receive his grace.
0: Anyway, let's think about that. More. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll think about that. Uh, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Let's start right there. Let's rather stop right there. Very legitimate question to ask because I've asked that type of question before. Um, In Britain, you don't get religious TV for a variety of reasons, but uh, you can get religion on TV. You know, they'll do a program about something. The only time I would ever see religion on TV was um, they would do the last call which was uh, a little devotional before they turned off the television signal for the night. Remember when that used to happen? Uh, I think in America, you did, what, the Star Spangled Banner or something, right, before you did? Over there, they would have somebody from the Church of England or, or the like, uh, sitting in a chair by a little lamp, giving you a, a little homily of two or three minutes and then shut it down. That that was it. But you come to America, and I, I, I remember one time in one of our visits to... Um, Appalachia, there was a tent meeting. Oh my goodness, this was different. There was yelling and shouting and the like. And I, dad didn't want me within 300 yards of it. I wanted to get within 100 yards, (laughs) I wanted to see a little bit more. But he was, you know, oh, this is awful. And he'd go off on a rant. But my father had a point. I remember he said, Watch how, watch what they're healing. And I watched for a while and he said, any of that visible? I thought, well, that's, that's a good point. Um, you know, I'm healing you of addiction. I'm healing you of this. I'm casting this demon. One, I'm not making this up, had spots on their liver and the guy healed them, he said. But we had to just believe that because we couldn't see it. And I think that's a legitimate question, which is, come on, which are you going to believe, that I can forgive sins? Would it be harder for me to say, rise, take up thy bed, and walk? I think we all would say, well, that's harder. Jesus' will, life will show us it isn't. It's the forgiveness that's harder. But he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Please look at that statement because it shames me. You know, I believe the statement. If I had been facing that group and said, I want you to know, how would I have finished that sentence? Probably something negative about those people. God is always showing me I've got growing to do. That instead of, he he was not interested in shaming them, he was interested in winning them. And I only learned that by reading the debates of Alexander Campbell, because he won every one of them, most of the time on the first night, and they have several other nights to follow, and the person's stumbling, they're having, he, he had the debate against the, the Scottish uh, communitarian socialist Robert Owen, who came across and, and started godless communitarian um, communities in the States, all of which failed. New Harmony, Indiana, actually you can go up there and see, they, they have a little, like a Williamsburg-y type thing where they, re- they preserved it for you. But he, uh, Alexander Campbell's really the one who shot down Robert Owen in that debate. And yet, every time, treated every debate person as a brother with kindness and respect, never reverted to any of the things I revert to in my head. Used to. I think I'm a better guy now. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Cammie is, is working hard. Why are you thinking your sins are forgiven? Get up. And, so he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you. Get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. You might not have noticed. I would have expected him to stay there and worship and study with Jesus. Jesus got him out of the room because that room might go sideways. He's been accused of blasphemy. Think about it in the guy's diary. I was paralyzed for the next amount of years and Jesus healed me same day he got my leg broke in a church fight that would not be a good story well actually it'd be a great story but not a bible story so every now and then God gives you permission to not be with the group if the group's going to go sideways I've talked to I don't know how many whose churches are shrinking and dying and the only solution the leaders will do is more of the same with more anger or power, just like the devil trying to fill our souls with things to give us meaning that never work, and the prescription's more of the same. And they'll say, but we've been here for so long, but, and, and I'll tell them, you don't have to go down with the ship. You're allowed to go find another. And I've had a couple that were in isolated believer commu- uh, How do I phrase it? In communities where there were not many believers of any stripe. You know, think of um, I think Oregon and what is the other one? It's, it's in, New, it's in uh, New England. They tie as having the fewest people with religious leanings and so you can be stuck out there and you're hours away from knowing anybody else and I'll talk to them about how to start a group and the like and it's they're thinking if I leave this I'll have nothing. I'm thinking if you leave that you might start something but it's up to the calling of God upon your heart but sometimes you need to be away sometimes you need to go home and did you notice by the way that that's what God did to the um, the demoniac at the very first year what did he do? go home go home we had um, I was in West Virginia for what was that, nine years I think Uh, Morgantown, wonderful people still dear friends of mine Uh, And the elders there are still in touch with us all the time and love them to pieces. um, The reality was, narrow roads, mountains at night. Sometimes it was hard coming back on Sunday night. Sometimes it was really hard getting there on Wednesday night. And I remember one of my dear friends, uh, Greg, pulled me aside and he said, I've been away all week. And... I know there's Sunday night services, but I've not been with my kids and I got to leave early in the morning before they go to school. Is it okay if I just stay home with my kids? I said, it's not okay if you don't. Go home. And he goes, well, I I hate missing Sunday night. I said, we made up Sunday night. Go home. If you don't know that, we did. You know why we did Sunday night services? Factories. When factories moved in, they were running different shifts. And suddenly, we had people working in the morning, so we had to do um, something, we had to do a mirror image with a different sermon, Preacher still had to work, by another sermon outline book. I'm not being mean to preachers, I did that, it's, you, you do it. And we felt that, and all of a sudden it became mandatory, didn't it? Oh, yeah. and so when you go to small groups, I've had people say, you're just trying to get away from obligation. Uh, Not if we're bringing people in our home, because when they're in the church, they leave. If you do a small group, you can't go, ding, go. Right? You're investing more time in this. Anyway, go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them. All right, so what has been healed? Paralysis is over, right? Most of of the miracles in scripture are multi-layered. More than one thing is healed. A man blind from birth is able to describe what he sees when he has never seen it before. Um, there have been muscles fixed. There have been nerve connections from muscles to the brain about um, about motoring through the world, motor location through the world. Um, tendons stretched. You know how tendons lock up? And you, hey, I'm talking to the age here. That... Uh, I can touch my toes if I'm sitting in a chair and I have a pointer. <laughs> you know, I had, had a, my doctor once asked, can you touch my toes? I said, I, I rarely find that interesting. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I know where they are, uh, but that's, anyway, my doctor and I have a wonderful relationship. We really do. <laughs> it's nice to have mutual respect and, that, and, that's, and so you can play but all these miracles. Everyone was amazed. I would like to circle that word everyone because Luke did not leave out the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Let's not act like all of them were always bad. Some of them were searching. If we act like all of them were always bad, we take a step, and I don't believe in slippery slopes, but we take a step closer to the land of anti-Semitism and we don't want to be there. The Jews are still beloved of God. You are beloved of God. Let's, let's, let's give every credit we can to everybody we can. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Don't you love that story? And It's a great story, especially if you peel it back and look at what it means, but we're, we're not all done. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. All right, if this was an old-time melodrama, you know what you're supposed to do right here, right? supposed to go, boo. You ever been to one of those? They're brilliant. I love them. Absolutely. There's nothing like them, uh, except in, in Britain, not just Scotland, but in Britain, they call it the pantomime every Christmas. And there's a, there's a show and a standard, but when the bad, evil person walks in, the whole crowd's supposed to go, boo, right? And if you don't, they'll stop and look at you and admonish you, walk off and come on again. So it, it's a very, you know, when the, the heroin comes in, you're supposed to go, ah, oh, you know, that sort of thing. Love that. So when a tax collector walks in, you're supposed to, in your heart at least, go, boo. I moved in here six years ago. I came here a, a, a month before Cammie was able to come because we were closing house there and selling it. Uh, my neighbor walked over, started the um, interrogation. You are your friend. I see you drive a pickup truck. Yeah, I do, yeah. And he said, I've been concerned. I was telling my wife, I was concerned that somebody would move in next door that drove pickup trucks and drank beer and was rowdy all night. And I said, those don't necessarily go together. They're optional uh, behavior. You, what box you tick? And he's just talking to me. And he goes, I, he said, I work for the IRS. Now, there's nobody on the planet that goes, you do? That's wonderful. Nobody says that. And he said, now you don't have to worry because I only do big corporations. And I'm thinking, and now I'm insulted. (laughs) That's the only reason I don't have to worry? It's not my honesty that I pay my taxes, I'm a good person. It's no, no, you're not my present target. And I said, well, all the same to you, if it's all the same with you then, I'm going to tell my wife every time we come home to shut the garage doors before we pull out what we bought and he looked at me, and he didn't get anywhere, he has, he has, and by the way, he may listen to the sermons, he's, he's a good guy, Um, I know we were being watched, because it was only a couple months later, that he came out to see me in the yard, and he goes, is your wife okay, I'm thinking, well, that's an interesting way to start a conversation, and I said, yeah, he says, well, I just noticed she was having difficulty, I went, you want to unpack that for me a bit? And he was saying, no, I, my critter Cam, he has animals, he has pets. Pointed right across the driveway into our garage. We'll talk later. But he had seen me come out, and I'd opened the door and gotten Cammy situated and put her seatbelt on. I said, she had just done her nails. They weren't dry yet. He had interpreted that to where she was going downhill really fast, not even able to pull the sheet belt over, and I said, by the way, um, completely different subject, means, where are the critter cams, and have you noticed I've got a BB gun? Um, (laughs) Tax collector. Why were tax collectors so boo back then? Because most of them were looked upon as traitors. They were leveling taxes on behalf of the occupying government of Rome. But that's not all. By the way, I feel like, I'm oh, really upset some of you, I feel like we underpay taxes because I don't pay enough for the roads and everything else. That's why we're in debt. We got to find some way to cut costs or do something, right? But they had no regulations so the tax collector told you what you owed. And a lot of them were not honest because some of their income was on the overcharge. Judges were the same way, and Jesus will deal with them later, that if you want to be heard, you have to have a certain amount of funds. My, my wife has gotten really into, um, when we're driving, she listens to them one after the other, a uh, date line or 48 hours, which is 100 percent total, 24-7, how to kill your spouse. I'm fine with it, except when she asked me, could you back that up? I need to write that one down, about the, the alibi worked in that one there. Um, but it, yesterday we were listening to one of a man that um, eventually was cleared, but spent years in prison for two different trials. One was a mistrial, and had run out of money. And if they'd not found a pro bono to come, and he would still be in there. And she goes, how often does that happen? I said, sweetie, that's the way it works. It's whoever, this is why rich people rarely end up in prison. Because they've got enough to delay, delay, delay. Um, People run out of funds. Jesus will, will attack all of this in his lifetime. The idea that you, that one class is higher than another, he will attack it all the way through. But here's a tax collector, and it's not the, um, I, the, the point I want to make is not the point you're gonna get. Okay? So here we go. His name was Levi. What do we also know him as? Matthew. Right? Sitting at his tax booth. That's the least visited booth at the fair, I would think. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Stop. When I was a boy, this amazed me. Jesus, perfect stranger follow me. And they did. No, that's not the way this could have worked. Levi and Jesus had to have known each other. Jesus had to have developed a relationship where the tax collector trusted Jesus. It's the same as with the fishermen leaving the boats. And by the way, when they left the boats, they left them in the family. Because you remember after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, where'd he find them? Back at their boats. So it's when we say they left everything, temporarily. <laughs> let's be honest, Jesus would have been the rabbi that talked to Levi, that showed him kindness, that never frowned at him, perhaps had even interrupted people when they were uh, attacking him. Jesus would have worked as to where, when he was ready, he says, come on, and he goes. And I find that wonderful, because we can do the same thing. We have not converted any of the 61 Muslims who attended here nearly two years ago. But they are still talking about Fourth Avenue. And when we go to the Iftar meal again this year, which we will, uh, Lord willing, where the, we join them as they break the Ramadan fast, they, will, they always come over and pull in other Muslims and imams, the pastors, and tell them of the love, grace, and wisdom in that church and how there is something very special here. I haven't converted them yet. I'm still in the Jesus making friends with Levi stage. Uh, by the way, I put that in the e-blast. If you'd like to join us February 28th, 29th at Otter Creek. Um, we're, we'll be meeting with them again. Loving on them again. And by the way, we, treat, we understand reality. They do too. They don't like terrorists either. Terrorists kill far more Muslims than they do Christians. They don't like him either, so be aware. Uh, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors, this party. Wow. And others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, a lot going on here. I love the phrase "who belong to their sect." The teachers of the law who belong to their sect. What does the word "sect" mean? I wish we had a different word because it "sect." You have to do that or people hear "sex," and it's when you're preaching real fast, it's hard to. But "sect" it means a group of people who are separate from the other people, and you hear the magic word "other." As soon as you can treat other people as others, not you, then you're allowed to mistreat them. Then you're allowed to be unkind to them. Right? Did you, your hand's moving up. I don't know if that meant, okay. All right. Um, Here is something which I find wonderful. When Levi began walking with Jesus, (coughs) Levi wanted his friends to know about Jesus and brought him in. That's our response. I talked to um, some of our people and they brought up what, it's, it's a legitimate thing to say, when I said we need to bring more people in to hear what we're doing, they said, well, I've talked to my neighbors but everybody I know has already got a church. Fair enough, I get that. What if we expand our circles by volunteering somewhere or making friends with servers at a restaurant or let what if we opened up the door a a bit to where we found some other people and showed them jesus why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners i do like that they separated the two but jesus said it's not the healthy you need a doctor but the sick there was a i don't even know if it's still running um, there was a, a British comic strip called Andy Cap, about a drunk Englishman uh, who who beat his wife, and she beat him, and therefore it's not really. Uh, I'd be surprised if it's still going. But um, there's one where he's walking by, and there's a pastor that always tries to get him to come to church, and I'm, I'm remembering this from childhood now, and stops him, once and he goes, "You know, Andy, you need to stop your drinking. You need to come to church." And Andy goes, "Religion's just a crutch." And the pastor looks at him and goes, "And who do you know that's not leap, uh, limping?" Well, it may not have been the best answer, but it's a pretty good one. The reason Jesus ate with sinners is so we know He'll eat with us. Because I'm, I'm still a sinner. I don't want to be. I'm no proud of that at all. I really thought I'd be better by now. But um, am I better than I was? Yeah, I am. But that's not the point, is it? I'm still a sinner, and he still eats with me. You know, my sins may not be your sins. I, I, I count myself very blessed by God that I've never been tempted by illegal drugs. Uh, I just, no. I've never understood the, the appeal, frankly, of them. But those people who have, I, I, my heart goes out to, because I know, I know neurobiology enough to know, oh my goodness, do you have an uphill climb the rest of your life? That's a struggle. I don't have your sin, but one of the things I do when I sit down is I, and they tell me their story, I said, you tell me your stories and you earn mine. Here are my sins. We are all on a hard road together. You may have different sins. But if Jesus eats with me, he will eat with you. And we go from there. He ate with you today. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's one of the things the Lord's Supper is about. I haven't come to call the righteous. Um, remember back in the day when we'd go door knocking? Right? Because there weren't that many distractions back in the day. So if somebody knocked at the door, it was, it was like a phone rang. Now, there's nobody under 40 that we can talk to about this, but it used to be when you only had one phone, if you were rich, you might have a separate princess phone in the bedroom, but there was one phone, right, and tethered to the wall with a a curly cord that never worked right, and the phone would ring, and people would run for it, wouldn't they? It was like, oh, it's like the Three Stooges used to do, there's somebody at the door, there's somebody at the door. It's, it's so exciting. Well, you'd go and you'd knock on doors. I never liked the door knocking because it involved people, and it was a real struggle. Um, I can remember one of the last times I did was with my father years back now, and um, we we're in Glenrothes, Scotland, it's over on the east side. Uh, they got a great church there now, uh, but it was just getting started up, and there were only a couple of us that went out and, you know, had this packet of invitations and Bible stuff to... And you, if they weren't home, you slid it through the door because the mail there comes in a slot in the door, right? And he was, he was a little friend. He said, we're not going to be able to cover all of this with just us. So you take that, those streets, and I'll take this one. Yes. He went that way. I didn't knock on doors. Kind of rub them. And I was was bending down once because it was a little lower. So I was bending down, and and the lady opened the door. And I froze. She goes, can I help you? And I went, all you could. If you'll just shut the door. (laughs) Now, God's probably told my dad about that now. So when I, you know, I'll have that discussion later. But it used to be when somebody knocked at the door, it was kind of like, ooh, someone's at the door. It's not the way it is anymore, is it? We haven't had a little doorbells. I have, I have Simply Safe on mine. Some of you have ring. It's a different denomination, but you're, you're probably saved. And, and it will say, there's somebody at the door. Unfortunately, Simply Safe also thinks my neighbor going to work in the morning is somebody at the door. It all, you know, dang, they're in their car. And I'm going, no, I, don't, I don't need to know that information. But we, we don't like people at the door, do we? It's different now. Well, when we did go door by door, we learned something very quick. Rich neighborhoods had nobody were interested in you. Poor people had the time and the hunger to know their lives needed to be better. So we went to the poor. You go, you don't go to the rich because, and this is being very, very unfair. I'm, I'm doing a big broad brush here. Because they do not feel the need for more they are still trying to fill up their lives with other things. By the way, the suicide rate, alcoholism, drug abuse rate, divorce rate among rich people is as high as it is among the very poor. People don't realize that, but it is. Um, but they don't, they don't um, sense a need that the poor people did. I don't know if any of that's changed or not, because door knocking's gone, gone away. But Jesus goes, I'm not here to call the righteous. Well, why not? Because they won't come. People who think they're righteous, I'm here to call sinners. My son now travels a lot, and just most of the time, flying from here to there, the other wiring robots for KUKA Corporation. And very, very proud of him, so we are. But he texted me a week or so ago that he's learning what I always used to talk to him about. That in airports, women with children and, and push chairs and the like are, are treated so unkindly by TSA and then they start getting on the plane and every, all the businessmen don't want to be sat beside with that, you know, sort of thing. And he said, I'm beginning to understand more and more about your rules because I had rules. One, you never walk by a crying person, ever. You stop. You offer help. You never allow a woman to feel isolated and um, without protection, defensiveless. So if you see them going through and she's struggling, announce, I'm a father, I've gone through this, can I help you? By the way, that still makes some women nervous for justifiable reasons, but now when I say I'm a grandfather, it's kind of like, well I can run from him, he can't, you know, so all right, there you go it's fun to me. And the first time it happened, I was going, well, that's different. Uh, this lady came on, and her kid was going, and, and she's looking around. I said, why don't you sit here? Just southwest. You know, I was sitting on, you can sit here. She goes, okay, thank you. Sat down, little kid just immediately staring at me, right? But that's fine. And halfway through the flight, she picked him up, put him in my lap. And she goes, I need to go to the restroom. And I went, okay. And she went off, and I, the kid's just looking at me, and I, I'm going, Well, I can't flee so maybe this safe I guess I I must not look like a perv or something since then it's happened a few times I always grant I say thank you Jesus that I'm at least giving off that vibe but he's learning it uh, and he, he talks about what he learns through the airports we're here for the sinners we're here for the broken we're here for the hurting because we're sinners broken and hurting that's why Ecclesiastes is in our Bible well, why another book? And I'll end with this because our time's about over. I don't want to start a new story. Um, When I was a boy, I came upon that book called Lamentations and I thought, well, that's wrong. We're not supposed to be doing that. And whenever I asked the preacher about it, it happened to be my dad, but I asked a couple others as well, their responses were always, well, that was before Jesus. As if, no, you don't lament now. We lament, and for good reason. It's hard down here. But the world doesn't get to write the end of our story. Jesus does. While we must go to Ecclesiastes, we don't live there. We live in the Gospels.